Amen. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you today. And as the video showed, I'm excited about beginning a new study with you through the book of Colossians. And so this will be our our first series that we walk through together verse by verse. And so um, I pray that um, you will be edified and encouraged. Christ will be exalted and, uh, and that we will grow in our faith as we look to his word uh, here in Paul's letter and as well that those who may not know Christ will come to know him in his fullness in salvation. Uh, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm, I'm going to do something here in the very beginning as you turn to Colossians 1. We're going to read a couple of verses and and then we'll we'll flow from that and today will be an overview of the book of Colossians and we've called this series Colossians Christ Sufficient Christ Supreme and the title of today's message is Introduction Christ Centered Colossians and so I would ask you to stand with me as we read God's word together and we're going to read the first two verses and then jump over to chapter 2 And we'll read verse 6 and 7. Here's what God's word says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you would pour out the power of the Holy Spirit, that your word will be um, faithfully explained, and that, God, that we'll get a, a, a healthy overview of this great letter as it presents to us a full portrait of Jesus Christ And that we will realize that not only is he supreme over everything, but he is sufficient for our salvation. And he is sufficient for every single need that we have. I don't know what is on people's hearts or minds, what's going on in their lives. But I know that there is a Savior who is the answer for everything that we will face in this life. And I pray that our faith will rest in him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. To begin this morning, I just will ask you the question that was asked in the bumper video, and that is, what is most important to you? What is most important in your life? What matters most? What would you put there at the very top category? Or I should say, what would, what would make the, the highest priority in your life. And the truth is what the bumper video said, and that is this, that what we value is what we worship. What we value most is what we do generally worship. And in our culture, uh, there are many things that we could point to that has captivated, has, that has captured people's primary focus and worship. And in fact, I would say that in some ways, many of these things can still even entice us as believers. But when we look at our culture, I mean, what comes to mind in terms of what is first and foremost? Obviously, money, sex, education, success, status, sports, comfort, safety, personal rights, self-autonomy, all of those things somewhere are in the highest priority. And if, if we flip on our news media or we watch any given show from, you know, Disney to NBC or we get on Facebook or Twitter or social media, we'd probably see that, that there is a great sense of self-worship in our culture. And that whole thing of personal rights and self-autonomy, that, that has the highest priority. But, you know, what's interesting is if you asked a person in the Colossian church, 
in this group in this in this group of believers that Paul is writing to if you asked them what was most important their answer would have been Jesus Christ and verse chapter 2 verse 6 and 7 tells you why look at what it says it says therefore as you received Christ Jesus the Lord so walk in him they would have told you what had what had won their primary allegiance is Jesus Christ and listen this isn't a you know this isn't second or third generation christians these believers are first generation christians never heard of Jesus Christ at all in their entire existence until they heard it preached and because they heard the gospel Christ had become to them what is most important but the reality is, though they would have said it and deeply knew it, their vision of Christ's lordship was being blurred by deceptive teachings and even old enticements. Yes, Jesus is Lord, but some of those old things still was, were, were appealing to them. They were being prevented from seeing Christ clearly, and what they needed is a spiritual optometrist a spiritual optometrist they needed to have their eyes checked they needed to have their vision examined and that's why this letter is centered on Christ no letter in the New Testament will help you see Christ more clearly than the letter to the Colossians in fact some have called it the most Christ-centered epistle. The most Christ-centered epistle. One commentator writes, there is no book in the New Testament, including John's Gospel, that, prevent, that presents such a comprehensive picture of Christ. Colossians is Paul's high, it is, it is his full-length portrait of Jesus. For us, maybe this will help us see. It is a 4K HD presentation of Jesus. For those of you who have 4K HD televisions in your home. This This is what that is for the New Testament. And it is a wonderful letter upon which to begin a pulpit ministry because it presents to us the greatness and glory of Christ. And what we want as a church, what we want all of you here today to hear is that Jesus is the focus of this pulpit and the gospel is the theme of this church. We don't ever want to lose that. We don't ever want to deter from that. We want to keep that in the central focus of our vision. So let me ask you this morning, Is Jesus Christ first in your life? Do you need to have your vision cleared? Do do you need to find your gospel-centered glasses this morning? Do you need to hear the truth that Jesus is enough for salvation and that he really is everything that you need? Then guess what? You're going to enjoy the study. You're going to benefit from this letter. You are going to, you are going to benefit from digging deep into what Paul writes to these believers and digging out every gospel gem that will minister to your heart and settle your soul in knowing that Jesus is enough. So here's what we're going to do this morning. This morning, we're going to do a flyover of the letter, right? If you've been on a plane, that flyover, right? It's different when you get to see the Grand Canyon from a 30,000 foot view versus walk up on the edge and see it for all of its vastness. So what we want to do first is we want to, we want to fly over the letter and we want to see all of it. Then next week we will begin walking through it verse by verse. So this morning what you will see is that the theme of the letter is simply Christ sufficient Christ supreme. Jesus is all we need, church. So let's hang this banner over our thoughts today. Those who have Christ have all that they need in him. Now, I believe that, but tomorrow 
I will be tempted to not believe that. That's why we need what Paul says here. So what we're going to do in order to really see that all that have Christ, they have all that they need, is we're going to look at the profile of the church. We're going to look at the challenge to the church. We're going to look at the structure of the letter. And then we'll see the message of the letter. All of that will show us that all who have Christ have all that they need. Let's look at the first thing. Number one, the profile of the church. Well, as we read in the beginning, we see that this is written to saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That is the church at Colossae. I'll say more about that in, in, uh, next week. But for, for what we need to see is that it is the Colossians in this city that he's written to. Maybe you've heard a famous song go like this. Educated in a small town. Taught the fear of Jesus in a small town. Used to daydream in that small town. Another boring romantic. That's John Mellencamp, right? For those of you wondering what I'm quoting, all right? But the reality is Mellencamp could have easily been born in the town of Colossae rather than Seymour, Indiana. This city was a small town. It was situated in the Lycus River Valley. You can go to the back of your Bibles, look at a map, and if you find Ephesus, you will probably, you will know that within a hundred miles of Ephesus is the city of Colossae. It was very close neighboring towns where, where Laodicea and Hierapolis. And in its heyday, the town of Colossae was a booming city because trade routes ran right through it. Bringing travelers and business people from larger cities like Ephesus. It was kind of like the Radiator Springs, for those of you who have watched Cars. And like my son is, Elias loves Cars. We watch it like, you know, almost every day it seems, but exaggerating. But, right, it's like, it was like Radiator Springs. It, its greatness had diminished when the road system changed, right? When the big highways replaced the state roads, that's what happened in Colossae. But there was a diverse population of people that made it a pluralistic town, much like cities today. You had a mixture of paganism, and you had Judaism as well, a community of Jewish people. And it is there amongst that, in that little pluralistic town, that God formed a community of believers through the gospel and a planted church was established. Now, who planted this church? The Apostle Paul wrote the letter, but he's not the one who planted the church. And we find that out in verse 1. We see that Paul wrote the letter. I'll have more to say about that next week. What I want you to see is, is that he had never visited them and he had never, and they had never seen the apostle. Go to chapter 2 and verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. For all who have not seen me face to face. So this church had never seen Paul. And, but the people knew who Paul was and respected his apostolic authority through the minister who introduced him to Christ. Well, who introduced these people to Jesus? Well, during Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which you can go to Acts chapter 19, and you'll read about a guy, you'll read about Paul's ministry, and it is during the time that he's in Ephesus preaching Christ that a guy named Epaphras was converted and believed the gospel. It is likely that Epaphras went to Colossae and established this church. He went there and he preached Christ. People believed a church was formed. Look at chapter 1 verse 5. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. As indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. As it also does among you. Look at this next line. As since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant. Now, it is important for you to have this context. Pluralistic town, planted church. The setting of this letter is a lot like ours. You and I live in a culture that practices a mix of secular paganism, right? And Christianized moralism. 
the Christians in Colossae, again, like I said in the beginning, they were first-generation Christians. All they knew was the gospel. So you would have had all these crazy ideas about religion, and then this dude Epaphras shows up, and he announces, all of us are sinners, the God who created the heavens and the earth, sent his son Jesus, went to the cross, died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead, and if you believe in him, you'll be forgiven of your sins and completely made right with God and have a future in the everlasting kingdom to come. That's what you would, so you would have had that message and every other crazy idea that's out there. Now what we've got today is, we've got every crazy idea that's out there, and then the message of the gospel mixed in with a whole lot of other nonsense that has kind of overshadowed the truth of Christ. In other words, the simplicity of the gospel is lost in a pluralistic culture. And, and so, uh, so what we have to see here is, is that this letter equips us to see that the focus of the church must be Christ. Because here's why. There's a whole lot of people, like I said, out here who they have never heard the truth of salvation. And then there's lots of people who are sitting in churches and have or have had some exposure to Christianity and they think they're Christians, but they're actually not Christians. Because they think Christianity is about being good, performing well, having the right behavior, keeping all the rules. And they have not truly come to understand that Christianity, as John Stott says, it is Christ. He is the summation of anything that we call Christian. And so that's the setting of this church. And what we have to offer church in the marketplace around us is the radical gospel of Christ. And I'm going to tell you that the more you share the truth of the gospel and the more faithfully we teach and preach it here, it will stir secular people and it will shock religious people. It will. Because it's truly not, the, it's not really the, the focus of so much of what is going on out there that is called Christian. I've been in plenty of conversations with colleagues in education and friends and others that I've interacted with to realize we have a unique gospel. And so with that in mind, here's what I want you to get out of the profile of this church. It's a lot like our situation and the Holy Spirit has something to say to all of us here in this church, in this body. And he has something to say to us about Christ through this letter. I want to invite you, I want to invite you on a journey to discover all that that is. Now that leads us to another observation. The challenges to this church. What are the challenges that were presented to this church? Well, here's what you need to know, because this is kind of the reason Paul is writing it. There are, there are deceptive heresies, or what that means is false teachings that threaten the life of this church. The, the, the problem was that you could not pinpoint the heresy to a specific source or system. If you go over the book of Galatians, what's the problem? You've got Judaizers, you've got religious Pharisees coming into the church and they're telling the church that in order to truly be saved and part of God's people, you have to have the right nationality and you have to be circumcised. In Colossae, I mean, that's the central problem in Galatians. The central problem here is, is a mixture of that with a whole bunch of other stuff. The false teaching that they're facing was a hodgepodge of ideas and beliefs that were drawn from various sources. It'd be like today, right? You have secular psychology and you've got um, you have Buddhism and, and New Age spiritualism, and then you have Christianity, and then you have Catholicism, and you have, I mean, you have all of this stuff that gets mixed into one bag, and then people are being told something that's not true. Subtly, these false teachers were adding to the gospel, and they were offering a false Jesus. And we see that same thing happening today. All you have to do is turn on TV 
and watch any number of the TV preachers. So what was the problem here? I'm going to give it to you. The challenges here are threefold. Ready? Look at the first challenge. Go to chapter 2. You see first the deception of human wisdom. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. It says, let no one see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and, and, and underline this, and not according to Christ. Okay? So there you have the deception of human wisdom. You say, Pastor, what is the deception of human wisdom? Here's what these false teachers were saying. Are you ready? They were saying you have to have the secret knowledge to have salvation and be spiritual. That's how you really have salvation. I mean, yeah, enough about Jesus and the cross and all this. Have you heard about this idea? You have to have the secret knowledge and you have to have special insight. And that is what made them consider themselves, these false teachers, spiritually elite compared to other Christians. They were in the know about God. They, it, it, you say, well, what did they teach? I'll give you a real quick summary. They taught that God was great, but that all physical matter was evil, including the body, all the desires of the body, and anything we enjoy in the physical world. And so what they then believed is that Jesus was not really human and he was not really God, right? I mean, after all, they would have said that he was an emanation of God or he was a God-like being who could lead you to the way that will get you to the divine being. In other words, they would have been saying that Jesus is kind of like a divine Jedi who could connect you to the force, and that's, that's really what their theology was. And that they had the special insight that would connect you to the force. And now you know why Paul says in the letter that Christ is the knowledge of God's mystery. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not some of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but all of the wisdom and knowledge. So that if anybody comes up to you and says, yeah, I get it about Jesus, but let me tell you about this new insight I have, you can say, wait a minute, there's nothing new because all that God wants me to know and everything God has revealed will be found in Jesus Christ. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul's driving at. And he even goes on in verse 9 to say that all the fullness of God was embodied in Christ. So if you want to know God, if you want to be saved, then you have to know Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. And here's the news. There's no secret. There's no secret. I don't care if we see it on Facebook. I don't care if we see it on Twitter. I don't care what, what, what's being said on television. There's no secret. that Everything has been revealed. Everything we know has been made known through His Word and the Word made flesh. So beware of people that come up to you. I mean, over the years I've had plenty. I remember having one person, I don't know what I was preaching through and a person greeted me at the door and said, you know, preacher, I, I really enjoyed what you, have, what you said this morning, but if you and your congregation only knew what I know. <laughs> and I, I thought, wow, you are, you, you, are so, you are so elite. We can't even come close to you. See, when you hear people like that, you've got to run from that. That is the deception of human wisdom. But then you have the danger of legalism. So verse 8, I don't want to exhaust everything because we will walk through this more slowly later. I just want you to get a general view of the problem. You have the deception of human wisdom. And then you have the danger of legalism. Jump down to chapter 2, verse 16. Look what he says. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. 
These are shadows of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. And so the, the other danger you're facing is, are these people that say, listen, I have the secret knowledge. You want salvation? You want God's favor? Then you've got to listen to this new insight. And for $19.99, you can buy my book and you will, you will experience an overflow. No, no, no. But, but here's what you, the other thing that you see here is, is the danger of legalism says that you must do the right things to have salvation and to be righteous. And what the legalists were doing is they were adding forms of Jewish legalism or law and ritualism to their faith in Christ. Yes, that meant that they were telling people, if you really want to be truly saved, yes, you got to believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised, which presents all sorts of issues. And then you have to also follow all these various rules of separation. And then you have to observe all the old ceremonial rituals of Israel. The dietary laws, the festivals, the Sabbaths. And if you observe all of those, you experience a deepened spirituality. You can hear this today, can't you? It still still comes, Colossians is so relevant. And, 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 and the list goes on, right? The dietary laws, the festivals, the Sabbaths, practices of self-denial and harsh treatment of the body, right? Starve yourself. Go on this fast. Not that we're against fasting. But, but what we are against is anything that we would say that we should do or follow that will make us righteous and cause God to respond to us. We have to run from that. By doing these things, they said, you would experience God's acceptance and receive God's blessing. And there are a host of things, church, that we could explore, couldn't we? Where we have this tendency to think that because I do this, or I practice this, or I follow this, that that makes me special or elite. I'm not talking about things that the Bible prescribes to us as believers. I'm talking about taking certain things and adding them to the nature of salvation. And then thinking, and and they may even be good things, but they're not gospel truths. Beware of those who make you feel like you have to do what they are doing, follow what they are following, in order to arrive where they have arrived. And be reminded that our standing is at the foot of the cross. So whenever we make something other than what Jesus did for us, a requirement for salvation or righteousness, that's legalism. And legalism, what it will do, true legalism, it will, it will foster critical spirits, judgmental attitudes, and prideful superiority. That's what this is saying. Let no one pass judgment on you because you don't rest on the Sabbath. Or because you mowed your lawn on Sunday afternoon. Don't let anybody disqualify you from the faith for those kinds of things. I could really go on. I'm not. I'm just going to park right there and just simply say that all of the festivals, all of the feasts, all the rituals, and even the Sabbaths of Israel, what were their function? Were their function, were, did, did, were they given to make people righteous? No. They were given to point to something. And better yet, they were given to point to Christ. So hear the message, church. Your works, your rituals, your prayers, your rule-keeping, your separation, your morality, none of it will save us. And none of it makes us righteous. There's only one claim the Christian has. Christ died for me, and I believe on Him. That's what Paul wants them to see. That's why he says in chapter 2, and he says in verse 5, that I rejoice to see your good order and your firmness in the faith. So, that leads us to a third challenge. So we've got the danger of legalism, the deception of human wisdom, but the third thing is the delusion 
of emotionalism. Look at verse 18. So let no one judge, pass judgment on you. Verse 18, Paul says to the church, what does he say? He says in verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That's self-denial, right? That's lashing your flesh in order to try to prevent you from sin. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The delusion of of emotionalism says that you must have the right experience to have salvation and be accepted by God. So, got to have the right knowledge, got to do the right thing, and you've got to have the right experience. False teachers emphasize mystical experiences where they would work themselves up into an emotional frenzy or create sensational events that misled others. People would fall and shake. Others would go into trance-like states, come out of those states and claim they, they saw angels and had visions. And that led to angel worship and all sorts of forms of idolatry. Are you seeing a parallel to our own time? I mean, the parallel is, is I mean, the same thing happens today. I, I remember years ago, a guy by the name of Jesse Duplantis. He, he, had a, he, had a, he came out with a series called Strange Encounters of the God Kind. And I confess, I watched it. Because he said he was in his hotel room, and suddenly a bright, the, the ceiling opened up, and an elevator like landed in the middle of his, his, his hotel room, and the doors open, and lo and behold, it's Gabriel, the archangel, who visited Mary, right, at the well. And, and Gabriel invites Jesse to come into this elevator, and then they soar up to the third heaven. I honestly do not believe that's what happened to Paul in Second Corinthians when he's talking about being taken up to the third heaven. And then he goes on to just say to all sorts of heretical nonsense, naming angels and other things that he saw. And what that does is it produces idolatry and it misleads God's people. And that's everywhere. Now listen, I'm an emotional person. I love it when you all yell amen. I mean, you talk about, this is, this is exciting because we're excited about the truth. But our emotions, they are stimulated by the truth. Our emotions do not override the truth. The truth is what excites us about Christ. And so here's the result, twofold result. All of these threats did two things, right? Turned people away from Christ. Look at, look at, look at chapter 2 and verse 19. And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows in a growth that is from God. It turns us away from Christ. And then verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So in other words, the problem with the problem with the deception of human wisdom, the danger of legalism, the delusion of emotionalism, is none of it will save you. And ultimately it turns our focus away from Jesus and then causes us to look inwardly or, or to others for something that can only truly be provided in Christ alone. So, 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 so that, that's what was happening here. And brothers and sisters, the dangers that exist today are as real as those and they are, they, they are many, even many more. The message of social justice, of political activism, of cultural Marxism, of nationalism, conspiracy theories, secular psychology, moralistic therapeutic deism. You do this, God will do that. Radical charismaticism. And I could go on. But in each of those areas, 
what, we, what is happening is we are being led away from Christ and then told that we can look to our flesh, our performance, our activism, all of these other things for salvation. And the truth is we cannot. So what Paul is doing is he's leading this church to Christ once again, insisting you cannot add to who Christ is and what he has done. So here's, here's the application of the challenges. There will always be something to lead us away from Christ and the gospel. What is it for you? What is it that's grabbed your attention? That all of a sudden you're over here and you're not planted on the word and on Christ, but your emphasis on, is on this thing, on this concept, on this idea. What has, what has grabbed your attention? What are you looking to that you think will help you overcome sin and, and, and make you experience God's blessing? Because the only way you can fight sin and experience God's blessing is through Christ and his finished work. So brothers and sisters, let no one deceive us, disqualify us, or deter us from Christ. And what we will offer in this church is we will offer Christ from every verse as the answer to every problem. So now here's the question that we ought to ask. All right, we've looked at the profile of the church. We've looked at the problems that this church was facing, the challenges to the church. But the third thing I want you to see is the structure of the letter. Okay, so the structure of the letter addresses all of these problems. With all of what craziness was going on that was blurring their vision of Christ, I want you to see the structure of the letter. And, and before, and here's what the structure will show you. That's how the letter show, how the letter is divided. And what you'll see is before we set out to do anything, we need to soak in what God has done. That's the structure of the letter. I'm going to divide the letter in half. First, chapters 1 and 2. These are what we would call, and this, this is not new to me, but this is what you'll, you'll read in various different ways. Chapters 1 and 2 are the divine indicatives. What God has done. And I will assure you that every letter that Paul writes, is oh, you could almost divide it this way. The indicatives, what God has done. And, and, and what is it that God has done? And I want you just to look, and I'll put some verses up here that you can look. And, and, and what I did in, in my Bible is I took, I took red and I underlined every, everything that it says God did, I underlined it in red. And then every imperative, I underlined it in, I think, green. I think. But that, not that matters. Anyway. All right. So look, look at what God has done. Look at, look at, look at chapter 1, verse 13. All, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Chapter 1, verse 22. And you, he has now reconciled. Who did those things? God did those things. So Paul starts by just reminding them, this is what God has done. And then another way we could say it is, how, what has happened to us? Right? We have been delivered. We've been qualified. Look at this. The things that have happened to us. In chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died. If then you have been raised with Christ. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Do you see it? He. Underline it. Every time you see he or God, circle it. Underline it. And then in verse chapter 2, verse 20. With Christ. With Christ. We have been raised. With Christ we have died. Do you know what Paul's doing here in the structure? It's the first thing he wants the church to get. Is that the gospel announces that we are now in Christ by faith. And we've experienced new life with Christ. This means, listen, that we are fully accepted by God because of Jesus' work for us. No improvement, no good behavior, no performance is necessary for you to experience God's acceptance. N nothing. I mean, that's how free the gospel is. 
So what that does for us as Christians, I can stop striving for it. I don't have to get up here and preach to earn anything. You don't have to come to church to earn anything. You don't have to pray to earn anything. You don't have to do anything to earn anything because it's all been earned for you. That is a liberating reality. And so those are the indicatives. God has done everything necessary for salvation. But now, because inevitably someone says, but wait a minute, then that means that the imperatives don't matter. No, they do matter. But you can't get the cart before the horse. The indicatives drive the imperatives. And so look at the imperatives. What we now do in Christ. And notice that the language is always in Christ. I am in Christ. I am with Christ. And Christ is in me. And therefore, even as I work out my salvation, He is working in me. So the imperatives follow the indicatives. And that's chapter 3 and 4. I'll just give you a little, I'll just give you a little preview. Seek the things that are above. If you are raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, these virtues. Continue, chapter 4, steadfastly in prayer. Chapter 4, verse 5, walk in wisdom. Pray for open doors to share the gospel. Why? Why? Because of what God has done. See, the problem in our Christian life is, is that we go down a little ways and we forget that everything we do as believers is simply because of what God has done. And the key for every single thing, every single command and imperative of the New Testament is to do them because of what Christ has done for you. So, so here's what the structure does for us, okay? That structure. The structure of the letter shows us that a right understanding of Christ is the basis, it is the basis for obedience and godly living. Let me say it to you as simple as I can. Right theology leads to right behavior. Not right behavior leads to right theology. Right theology will lead to right behavior. The indicatives must come first. Ask yourself, why do I do what I do? Why am I here this morning? Because of what Christ has done. It's the basis of our fellowship. It's the foundation of our marriages as Christians. It's the, it's the, it's the leadership in our homes. All of it is structured by what God has done. And honestly, that leads us to the last thing. The message of the letter. So we've got the profile of the church. We've got the, we've got the profile of the church. We've got the challenges to the church. We've got the structure of the letter. But what is the message of the letter? The message is you and I need a big vision of Jesus and what that means for our lives. If we want to see the glory of God, the greatness of God, the grace of God, then the invitation to us is to fix our eyes on Christ. And what will we see? What will we see as we fix our eyes on Jesus in the book of Colossians? We will see that Christ is supreme. Chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. And that in everything, in everything, in every single part of our life in our church, he will be preeminent. Chapter 2 again, therefore as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul wants you to see that Jesus is supreme. 
And if you dig deeply into this letter, you will see that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the object of our faith. He is the Redeemer of our souls. He is the image of the Creator. He is the Lord of creation. He is the head of the church. And He is the greatest treasure of the gospel. He is supreme. And church, listen, Jesus, there is no one higher than Him. There is nothing greater than Him. And He reigns over everything, and He rules over all. Everything. Amen. And you know what that means? He's worthy of all our worship. And He deserves first place in our lives. And that means that whatever you walked in here this morning with, Whatever challenge, whatever problem, whatever burden, whatever trial, whatever sickness, whatever affliction, whatever conflict, Jesus is supreme over all of it. And you can rest in that. And if you come here today and you're not saved, and you're still singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, I can tell you that what you're looking for will be found In Jesus Christ. He is supreme. But you also see that the message of the letter is that he is sufficient. He is sufficient. I want you to see. Church, this isn't a theological treatise that Paul writes. It's just a letter. A pastoral letter of care. Look at all the things that. Some of the things that Paul tells them. That they will have in Christ. By him all things were created. In Him all things hold together. In Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Do you see the word all? All. Not some. All of it. All of it was pleased to dwell. And and then what do you need this morning? Listen to all that we have in Him. Paul says in chapter 1, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What do you need to know this morning? You'll find it in Jesus. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. He has all of it. All the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you see it? All. All. We need to see this because whatever it is that you need, he has it because he is the all-sufficient Savior with an all-sufficient word. And I will promise you on the basis of what he has revealed that he will satisfy your ever longing. What does the psalmist write? Whom in heaven do I have but you? All that I desire on earth, I have found it in you. And that's why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 11, that Christ, not only is he supreme and sufficient, look at what he says in verse 11. Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. That's it, church. He's everything. And if you feel the, if you're here today and you feel the brokenness of sin, Christ can redeem you. If you feel today that you're away from God and you've been told from all sorts of people that if you just try this, do this, then, then maybe you can get close to God. Listen, just come to Jesus and He can bring you to Him. Maybe today you feel unclean and too far gone. Christ can cleanse all of your sin. You're not too far gone. Maybe today, Christian, you feel imperfect. You don't measure up. You're comparing yourself to others. You know what Paul says? You are complete in him. Maybe today you feel that you're nothing. Maybe you feel like your life doesn't matter. I want you to know that you matter and that Christ can become everything to you. Because here's the truth. Christ is sufficient. And he is supreme for our salvation and everything we need to live for him. So let me ask you as I close this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ is supreme?
Do you know that Christ is sufficient for every need of your soul and your life? If so, then he will overrule with his supremacy. There are a thousand wrong ideas and wrong emotions and wrong theologies that need to be overruled. That's why Paul tells the Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule. And not only will he, not only he overrule with his supremacy, he will overflow with his sufficiency. He says in chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness to, in your hearts to God. You see, if we see this, that God, Christ is sufficient and supreme, then he'll overrule everything going on in your life. Every wrong idea and emotion, and he will then overflow with his sufficiency. And that's why when you come week in and week out and you hear the message from Colossians, what you're going to hear is that Christ is indeed a supreme and he is sufficient. This letter will show us, church, that those who have Christ have all that they need in him. And then we will be able to sing with Charles Wesley. Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee I find. Do you believe that? I pray that you do. And today as we respond to what has been preached through singing and worship, let's turn our eyes to Jesus. Let's stand. Let's stand and as the worship team comes, we're going to sing. And let the song we sing today be a prayer That through the preaching through Colossians, that God will turn our eyes to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that we will truly see him as supreme and sufficient. Maybe today you're here and you know that you need salvation. You want to come forward, I'll be happy to talk with you. There are others I will direct you to. Maybe you're here today and you want to just come to this altar and you want to say, Lord, renew in my heart an understanding of your supremacy and your sufficiency. Keep me, God, from turning away from Jesus and anchor me to him. Whatever your need is today as we are singing, you certainly can come. And for all of us, let us lift our voices. God, this is your word. May you now bless it to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, do your work in Jesus' name. Amen.